This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. All right. Hello. Hello. Welcome. Welcome back to Pass the Mic Part 2. I'm Bo York, uh, and I apologize. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Stop. Please stop. Please stop. (laughs) (laughs) And to my right. Um, Yeah, my name's Elodie, and I don't like being on the podcast, so this is going to be very interesting. (laughs) And to my left. Aaron James. The one and only. All right, so this is really exciting. Um, this is, I think, normally, normally whenever we get on the podcast uh, as kind of the staff of the witness, it's uh, you know we're, we're here, you know, it's with Tyler and Jamar, but this time, it's just us. All right, so uh, of course we're continuing the conversation about the Black Panther film. Uh, now I've seen it twice. 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 All right, so we've all seen it twice. Now I want to point out something that I I found the second time around that I completely missed. The opening sequence, like in this movie, something they do very, very early on is they go deep into comic lore. Like if you've read the comics and everything, they go full on with the heart shaped herb, everything, the, the, the uh, complete origin story of, of the Black Panther and the mythos. But what I didn't catch the first time that I caught the second time is that it's actually Killmonger's father telling it to him as a son, as opposed to T'Chaka telling it to T'Challa. Wow. Right? Wow. Totally missed that second wow. time, but if you listen, like, if you listen to the voices, uh, the, the boy who's responding has an American accent. His father definitely has a Wakandan accent. So it's all the movie from that standpoint is actually from Killmonger's perspective. Book ends beautifully like that. Anyway, that, that's just the one thing I wanted to start off with. The little little thing I found the second time around. <laughs> Me and uh, Elodie, we drove up from or drove down from Jackson, Mississippi, for like four hours talking nonstop about. Uh, the movie. So, uh, share some of your share, share some of your thoughts. What did you really, really like about the movie? Yo, the the women just really meant something to me. So, from Lupita and her curls um, to Shuri's like box braids, it was just all beautiful done, like beautifully done. Um, I think the most striking scene for me was when the general and her bae, her boo, what's his name, Wakabi. Um, he was on you know, the rhino, rhino stops or whatever. And he's just like, you're going to, you're going to kill me, my love. She was like, yeah, for Wakanda, I can, I can do that. (laughs) But like, but like for him to like lay down his sword and kneel in front of her was really powerful, like really powerful for me. Cause it's almost like, you know, as a woman, you can have a boo, you can have a bae and you can be right. You know what I mean? And he could be wrong and he'll still yield to you in that way. Because he's wrong, obviously. And, and, and like, a lot of culturals, like, depending on what context you're in, you don't see that. You don't see women that have a voice, an opinion, even if they're right. You know what I mean? They can't raise their hand and be like, well, actually, you know what I mean? So that was so great. Um, and Lupita, her, her character, Nakia, yes. Her having her calling, and that's why she don't want to stay home. She want to go and help people. You know what I mean? And for him to see that, to see her, 
And not just like, okay, well, you can't be queen then. He's just like, you know what? I hear what you're saying. And to support you and to do whatever needs to be done, I'm going to meet you halfway. And, like, you don't really see that. You know what I mean? I'm not going to touch too much on the stay-at-home, homeschool. I ain't going to do it. I'm not going to do it because I'm going to get in trouble. But, yeah, I just I just really like that. And just one more, like, last thing. Um, the question, who are you, and was really, really powerful. It wasn't just a name. Like, it was... It was almost everything, like your identity, right? So, like, when someone asks you that, like, when we see a killmonger in the council, the king knew it was going to go down. So he wasn't even going to ask, ask him who he was. You know what I mean? But he was able to say, da-da-da-da-da-da. And that just spoke to identity. Like, you're not just, it's not just your name. It's, you know, your, your whole essence and all that jazz. But, yeah. That's excellent. Yeah, who are you, Pastor James? <laughs> so... That question was like a resounding thing throughout the course of the movie for me. Uh, I had a mentor that used to say, your name is your nature. And, and that's why even within scripture, that's why names are so important, because your name would speak to your nature. And so for, for him to have this deep desire, what it reminded me of, honestly, was when the Lord Jesus was, was in that sham of a trial before the Sanhedrin the, the evening before his crucifixion and Caiaphas, the high priest, you know, says, I adjure you by the name of the most high God, you know, say whether or not. And so the Lord was compelled at that point to reveal his true identity. And, and then for Killmonger, as Tyler mentioned uh, before, all of that pent up, just the way his identity had been suppressed, the way that his homeland had been taken away from him, the way that his father had been taken away from him, the way that he had yearned to uh, enjoy the same closeness and fellowship and legacy that T'Challa had enjoyed for all of his life. He, he was waiting. And I think that's why I, I, really, I really sympathize with him, man, because this, this was someone who... Um, Beneath all of the anger, there was a deep hurt. There was a deep wound that had just been festering um, uh, in this man. And, and, of course, it turned extremely toxic and, um, and caused great destruction and eventually led to his demise. You, I, I, don't think, I don't think there's, there's not one person that can't resonate with that. I think there's, there's not one person that can't resonate with the fact that. And let, let, let's just be real, um, you know, particularly if, if you can't even trace your lineage, you know, past a, a certain point, you know. I'm in the process right now of, of, of um, waiting on DNA results uh, in terms of just digging into my heritage more. So, uh, and and um, looking into my family. And what I found very, very difficult is that, you know, I could only trace like one string back so far. And, and it's so frustrating because I've sat down with people who have said things like, yeah, man, I just visited Scotland, you know, and, and went back and I found the clan, you know, that, that, was my, that my family was from and so on and so forth. And, and um, I struggle personally a great deal with the fact that I, I can't trace my lineage on, on some parts of my family back, you know, past two, past two generations. And so you walk around like that. And so you're home, but you're not at home, you know, and, and, and it, it does something. And so anyway, that that made Hillmonger's character, um, man, very familiar to me in, in some ways. 
And um, the other thing I'll say is um, if you've been watching movies for a long time and not just the way that black people in particular have been portrayed in movies, but Africa in particular, right? Right. The way Africa in particular um, is portrayed. And, and they did that. They, they did that um, several times, like uh, Claus. It was like, you know, what do you want? You know, he, he called them savages. He used the word savages. And then I'd like the, the, the rhetorical question at the end, you know, what can, what can a country of farmers, you know, ha- have to offer us? And to have this amazing dignity portrayed all throughout the movie. And if people are wondering why black folks get, are excited about this movie, they think, oh, it's just a movie. Like, what's the big deal? It's like, you don't understand. You live in a culture, in an environment that constantly questions your dignity. You go to school environments that constantly question your dignity. You can't go shopping without your dignity being questioned. You can't go to a university without your dignity being questioned. And so to watch this amazing portrayal that wasn't fantasy like, man, it was real. It was tangible that, that, and, 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 and I don't know. I'm just a big fan and I, I love I love works of um, robust works of fiction, but it felt like, man, this could happen. Anybody else feel that? Like the possibility of it, like, man. And, and so uh, in that aspect, man, it was just so rich for me. So I, I'm going to shut up. I, I'm, I'm, it's just, let's somebody take this mic. Um, one of my favorite things that the movie does so well is, is a, it's a really sharp commentary on the African and African-American divide. Um, because I know a lot of people from East African countries that pride themselves, oh, we've never been enslaved. And it's almost like a level up um, from African-Americans. And the movie just, just touches on the absurdity of that. Like, you're fighting your cousin, literally. Like, you're fighting your brothers. You're fighting your sisters. And these, like, this, these differences and, like, difference of opinions, which are, which are true, but to the, to the heart of it, you guys are blood. And I, I love that. And I love Killmonger's rage, and I get it. Um, it was misplaced. Like, fam, he literally died instead of, like, just live. You know what I mean? Like, he chose death, which, okay, whatever. But um, I guess Michael B. Jordan, y'all just going to kill Michael B. Jordan like that, whatever. Um, but it's, yeah, it just, the movie really touches on, like, on that absurdity. Why, why are we really fighting people who look like us, even though we have difference of opinions, you know? Yeah, no, I was, I was actually shocked they killed Killmonger off so quickly. And actually, as I was watching this, I was thinking, man, so Marvel finally uh, has its Magneto, which Marvel has Magneto of the comics and everything, but it, Fox owns X-Men, it's a, whole, it's a whole deal. But point being, they haven't been able to go here. But in many respects, like, Magneto is, he's like a symbol of what Killmonger actually is. Like, like Magneto is Killmonger light to some extent in terms of what he represents. Uh, and he's a fascinating character. And so, you know, you, you do see, in fact, we've had these conversations on the past of my group about, you know, Magneto was right. So was Killmonger right, Aaron James? Listen, so <laughs> when he... He refused to be in subjugation to anyone. He refused. Even when 
I mean, we're just spoiling the whole thing. That's okay, right? We can do yeah, that. I mean, right? like, so, yeah, we so, probably okay, should. We'll so, put something so, on it. So here's the thing. T'Challa is a noble man. And you could tell it, it, it broke his heart because he's broken up that, that family was literally left behind and rejected, right? And so when Hillmonger is mortally wounded and he's like, man, we can still save you. We can still save you. Like, there's a shot. There's a chance. And Killmonger's like, no. You know, bury me at sea with my ancestors, you know, who basically um, refused to live as slaves. They'd rather die free than live as slaves. And, man, that is, that is, so, yes, in, in that aspect to me, he was absolutely right, man. I mean, misguided and all of those things. I mean, all those things have been touched on. But you can't help but agree with his principle and, 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 and with his sentiment, like he absolutely refused. And, uh, so yeah. What was it that you tweeted out, uh, when, when T'Challa's your king, but Killmonger made some good points. Unpack that a little. Hey, nobody can touch Elodie's Twitter game, by the oh, way. Stop. I'm sorry. Stop so, um, no, but it, it had me, it had me thinking like calculating. Oh, wait. Um, Wakanda has all these things. And even in the beginning of the story, it said the world was like in chaos, but Wakanda was thriving. And I didn't feel that was fair. Um, so for King T'Chaka to choose, like, you know, your baby brother, he's just like, listen, this is what's going on. Yo, they're in whatever oppression, whatever, whatever. And he's just like, okay, well, we're going to go back home now. It's, I don't, I don't like that. Like you're choosing to remove yourself from your people, quote unquote. You know what I mean? Um, would I go to the depths of like what um Killmonger did? Probably not. Like, dude was angry. He lost his father and his you know like you know what I mean? And and I can't help thinking if if the king would have just took him back to Wakanda with him, everything would have been different. I really think that. Yeah, all right. So it's so one last point before we kind of open it up to everybody. Uh so T'Chaka. All right, when we're introduced to him in Civil War, he's this noble loving father and really that's the only way that we see him and this is true even in this film too is through the eyes of t'challa like like that's the relationship we get we see him as this kind of noble righteous man through the eyes of his son until it's revealed and that he has made this horrendous error and now his son is dealing with the sins of the father like he now not only inherits the legacy of king He's now also inherited that legacy of sin. Uh, has T'Chaka been like permanently damaged as a character? Like, where did you where did you leave the film seeing his legacy when it's all said and done? You know, I don't think his legacy because the nature in which legacy works, what one generation leaves incomplete, the next generation takes on and keeps going. And so, I didn't feel like his legacy was tarnished. What the, the beautiful thing about how it all played out was that, let me just say this, that scene in South Central, that was too real. For those of you who know history and know some of the shady stuff that's taken place and, and things that happen and things like that and the way drugs and things like that found their way in communities and stuff like that, uh, that was way too real. If you know anything about that, that tell was us, not a tell fairy us. tale. We got that was not a fairy tale. And so, uh, so for instance, when, um, when T'Chaka's brother made the point, he said, 
something to the effect of drugs are being pumped into this community and, and, and there's police brutality. These people need to be able to defend themselves. We need to do something about this. Uh, that was just, that was real. That was a very real uh, historical fact placed within an artistic expression in, in a movie, first, first of all. And so to, to, to have T'Challa go back and buy property in that neighborhood and seek to invest in it and not run away from it, to have boots on the ground, as we Marines say. And, and it, what we saw there was restitution. We saw redemption. It's the way that redemption is supposed to work. That's why I say T'Chaka is, is vindicated because there is no redemption without a price being paid. There is no redemption without there actually being atonement and actually being justice. He's preaching and so, now. He's preaching. <laughs> so, so T'Challa, he had more than good sentiment, right? He had more than good sentiment. And so what he had the opportunity to do, and I'll, I'll just close with this thought, what T'Challa had the opportunity to do was to not only take upon himself the legacy of his father's work, but because all men and women are incomplete and are flawed, we have the opportunity as new generations going forward to not only carry on the work, but to take upon ourselves a responsibility to right wrongs that were done in the past. And man, so yeah, there is redemption. And so there is a redemption that reached back to T'Chaka's mistake to make it right through the work of the generation that was working in T'Challa. So I'm going to shut up. That's... <laughs> just just one last thing um T'Chaka told his son plainly you're a good man with a good heart and a good man can't be king it's hard for a good man to be king and I think for the rest of the time that we'll see Black Panther he's gonna be trying to prove his father wrong in that so we'll see all right so this next segment is the truest sense of the name of the podcast, where we are going to pass the mic to you. All right, so I'll pass the mic if you have any comments. Just let me know. Going to go to Mad Max over here. So, uh, just the only reason I wanted to say something because passage said all my thoughts out. Just, but I did tweet when we saw the movie, the opening night, because I was sitting in my house and I was like, I need to get off Twitter. I got to work, and I started like, you know, how you going to sleep, and you got to. Put your phone down. I didn't want to. And it, it hit me because one of the big things that I hate, one of the phrases I hate a lot is black on black crime. And and then also I'm processing this whole how does the gospel connect to reparations? And, and I was like, it was such a crazy message the way they took how, you know, a crime done, a black person committed a crime against another black person. And they didn't look for anyone else to fix it. It was the guy's son who comes in and, okay, we're going to invest in this community. Even though he, he kills, uh, uh, Killmonger, he comes back and there was, there was the reparations owed to not just Killmonger, but that community because of what, uh, Pachaka did. And, and so it was kind of cool to sit back and watch. And these kids were like, I, I, I can't, I wish I had that moment, seeing technology like that, or any kind of cool engineering uh, deals when I was younger, because that stuff inspires people. So it isn't—it doesn't just give you how black people react to Black Panther 
outside, but inside the movie too. And it's like the, just that little kid going, wow, is us after we watched the movie. And I thought it was really cool just the way they, they were like, okay, this is what reparations look like. And sometimes there is someone who needs to pay it. But I think as black community, there's something we can fix, like Pastor James saying, like that we can take on what people before us, uh, you know, messed up, that we can take on the mantle to fix. And last thing to make it quick is there is some issues with how black history was taught to us or still is being taught. But the one thing I've found that's really cool that they, that they never could wash out is how those who went back, you know, like from Underground Railroad, Martin Luther King, uh, Frederick Douglass, these people felt like what I'm doing is not just for me, but for us. And I feel like that's what Wakanda represented. It's like, this is us here. And, and then Killmonger brings it even wider. They were on a, a micro level and it was like, this needs to be bigger because it's not just you guys. It's all of us who look like this that needs to be part of what Wakanda has. So, yeah. Amen, bro. Amen. Anybody else? I know y'all got thoughts. Well, the mic's passing. I should mention that. So when Shuri says, like, I thought you'd take me to Disneyland, don't you think she'd be so bored in Disneyland? Right? Yeah, I, I feel like she would be. So let's first speak on this from a film standpoint. And I'm just going to say that. Ryan Coogler has now officially directed his Malcolm X um, in in regards to this film, like how Spike Lee, that was Spike Lee's epic. This is Ryan Coogler's epic. Um, I also like how Ryan Coogler always finds a way to slip Oakland in the film every time. Like, of course, Fruit, Fruitvale is his love letter to Oakland. And then Creed, um, that's where... Um, Adonis Wells for a little bit. Now, of course, Black Panther, that's where we start at. Um, and then from just the movie standpoint, like, yeah, favorite line in the movie ever, bury me in the ocean with my ancestors, um, who understood that death was better than bondage. Like, if you understand the complexity of that line, or, or honestly, just the simplicity of that line is just like, yeah. And um, buying back the block. That's it. Just buy back the block. All, all that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it should be said that um, you know, someone had mentioned that Kugler's directed Fruvel Station, which if you haven't seen, you should, on the uh, killing of Oscar Grant, um, and then Creed, which again, if you haven't seen, you should. And I'm I'm gonna be a little bit confused as to why we're friends if you haven't seen Creed. But then, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. And then now Black Panther. And I mean, three completely different types of films. Um, and so I'm very interested to see where he's going to go from here because I think he now has the right to explore so many different s- types of subject matter within a Hollywood context because they can't deny him. They can't deny his success. They can't deny his talent. Anybody else? I really like seeing how they incorporate incorporated the different tribes especially when he was being crowned as king they went there were, i think there were at least three tribes there there were different tribes five four four different tribes there and i it just kind of reminded me so much of when i did go to ghana they did have different tribes there it was very different and when you went to different tribes even when the um when you go to the different tribes you have to bow down to the chief and it was very, very much like that. So it was very, 
very realistic for me to see that on a screen, to see how they, they kind of stuck to the root of African um, traditions. And I love that about the movie. I just want to introduce Chadwick Boseman. Um, to <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Awesome job. Great job. Love your movies. Um, I want to stem more fr- uh, from uh, Killmonger's life, you know, and, and where he was coming from. Uh, it may stem off a little bit, but the perspective I see now from it is um, Killmonger, who, who came from a struggling community, you know, uh, his father was taken away from him at a young age, you know, uh, growing up in a community filled with drug and violence, and then walking into Wakanda, where there are people who look like you, but have that life, you know, who have reached that point. And he's looking around and he's like, wow. You know, and, and like Tyler said earlier, you know, I, I want what you got, you know. And the perspective I saw it from was like, you know, he he grew up hard. And there are people, black people who, who have, you know, who have a decent life, you know, lifestyle. And, uh, you know, it's just like, you have it good. You know, y'all have it good. Are y'all going to just turn a blind eye? Or are you going to help us, you know, who are struggling? And, um. You know, that, that really struck with me. I felt like that was something that flew under the radar, but it was a, a productive perspective. Yeah, and I also say, you know, it's, it's funny because Killmonger, if, if you follow his, his backstory, he achieved everything you could achieve in America. I mean, you know, he went to MIT, you know, and it's just like, I mean, whatever, you know, but he was, there was still something lacking because he didn't have the connection to his people. So even though he reached the powers, the highest, you know, education and in the military and had a, had a special nickname, there was still something lacking and missing because he couldn't be, you know, who he, he truly was. I think that the last scene when he goes back and he says, and like he tell, he's telling his sister that like he bought all, this, all these buildings and the little boy walks up to him and he's like, I feel like his face was in such awe. And I feel like it represented what representation can do. You see, like, like we, like we, you had like the other black superheroes in the Avengers, but this was like he said, "Who are you?" And T'Challa just gave him this look, like he knew that. Like, I felt like that was the most realistic part was that you had little boys, and you, they they were in there, and they were like this, like there's somebody who looks like me who's being amazing, and I feel like that was my favorite part because it was just so simple, and the screen went black, and it was like. This is what this is what we've been working for. What we like little girls, little boys, like seeing these strong black women, seeing these strong black male characters on the big screen. Everybody's like loving like this like the representation was amazing. I want to touch on something here and I'll actually head up to the to the panel here. And so we just saw this tweet and uh deeply bothered me. So someone put up they said all my commentary, only visual commentary I'll give you is this and they showed T'Challa on one side, Killmonger on the other, and then above T'Challa was Booker T. Washington, and above Killmonger was uh, W.E.B. Du Bois. And, and I'm going to tell you, this, this really bothered me, and I think, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you guys feel the same way, because I get what people are doing, but when we rush to these comparisons, I think people are far more complex um, than Martin and, and Malcolm, than Washington and Du Bois. I, I, you know, I think, if anything, that if anyone we're going to interact with about something like going back to your roots and things like that, it would be Garvey. I mean, we should be interacting a lot with Garvey and, and kind of, I think that was kind of the overarching theme. 
within the movie, that philosophy. But but I don't know. Did it bother you? Would that bother you guys if you saw that? Because it just really rubs me the wrong way. I think that's a very simplistic way of seeing both T'Challa and um, Killmonger. Yeah, that would be my my biggest beef would be that it, it would just be a gross oversimplification of uh, not only the characters in the movie, but those two men. I think we neglect the fact that how dynamic they were in their thoughts throughout the course of their lives. Um, and there are people like, um, you know, Daniel, who could speak uh, way more, um, just uh, just much more educated manner to it. But um, in terms of how people grow, how perspectives change and what made them, how they arrived at their conclusions, how they, you know, how they interacted with one another. There's just, there's too much depth and there's too much nuance and there's too much of a dynamic nature to how people grow and develop in thought and perspective and philosophy throughout the course of their life just to go put these two pictures up there and then that just sums it up. And I think it's, it's, it's kind of a disservice to Du Bois as well. I think it makes, Du Bois wasn't, you know, he wasn't that, you know, there, for all the critiques of Du Bois, you know, and went through a lot of changes over the course of his scholarship as well. So I felt like that was that was problematic. I mean, it's always, you know, the Martin and Malcolm, you know, is the easiest comparison. Um, when I think, uh, I think that, that, that may be simplifying the matter a little bit. Anybody else? Anybody else have any thoughts? Yes, Brad. Tell us about Martin and Malcolm. So I think that uh, I think even that comparison. One of the things I was having a conversation with, I was talking to these gentlemen here, is um, I think even that comparison shows the absolute necessity of this movie. So like I think like I'm white. People on the podcast can't see me. So, uh, but like as a white guy, like the same statement I made to them earlier, which is like white America has to make room for this movie. Not just not just not just accepting it but embracing it and making room for the celebration uh because otherwise we are well all this is a a remake of magneto and professor x and malcolm like and so we just throw it we we categorize it and oversimplify all these characters um and we rob them of their history and that's the whole point of the film (laughs) is to stop robbing people of their of their history and the richness that that sits behind that and, and particularly a whole people group. And so I think that's one rich thing. I think a couple of the ways that they did that, one thing I wanted to mention, um, first of all, the question that Jamal brought up about the, the white dude in the cave thing. Um, if, if I, I got my hair cut at a barbershop one time and I, that exact scene, scene happened. So <laughs> like, <laughs> like uh, yeah, it was, uh, uh, yeah, I was just like, I, I don't know if he caught it. I was laughing hysterically at that moment. I was like, this, this happened to me. So anyways, I thought that that was, I thought it was perfect. Uh, but, but secondly, even going back to what we were talking about with rich history, one of the things I appreciated and you brought it up was the, um, the respect and the beauty that they gave to the women in the movie in their natural state. So, a lot of times when we see black women represented in movies, we see a whitewashed version of them. So I think that what we were able to see was them in their natural state, um, which I thought was absolutely beautiful. Um, and I thought that they picked the right people to do that as well. Um, and even then, and even then, uh, I don't know the term, like I'm not a comic guy, the, the ones that were in the red. Um, yeah, them. So, 
one of the one of the things all I, the ladies I, took note. My bad, my bad, my bad. <laughs> um, one of the things I was going to say about uh, even even to that right is that uh, in in every, they had there was every opportunity for the directors and the cast members to uh, um, create an over masculine version of that and rob them of their beauty. Um, but even in that, they presented beauty um, to those to those women. Um, so now n- now we've created dignity in layers, which I thought was huge. Going back to your original question, boy, boy you can speak, right? You can speak here, boy. That's good, Chris. All right. So everybody's kind of talked about a lot of the things I wanted to talk about. One of the things, though, that interests me, and uh, Bo, you might be able to fill us in on some of this. So we saw. From T'Challa's standpoint, we saw the big panther on the mountain, right? And then we saw, I think it was the Jabari tribe that was up in the mountains. We saw the big gorilla, right? So I'm like, he king up there. He got a big old gorilla and, you know, he's doing his thing, but he's a part of Wakanda. And then T'Challa's kind of king over everything. And he got the big panther and you had the green dude or the, the dude with the green suit on, right? Who had the, the, the lip thing from kind of Ethiopian from tribe. Right. And uh, but I'm like, where what 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 represents his crew? And then the guy from uh, Get Out who we saw the rhinos. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, well, where's the rhino at? We didn't get to explore any of those other tribes and their contributions. We only see them at the council standpoint. And I was very, very interested to figure out, like, what is the backstory behind some of those representations? Because of like all the color when they were fighting on the mountain and the representations of the different tribes coming together in unity. But it's like, man. I see a gorilla and I see a panther and I see a live rhino with that, their armor on. But what else we got around here? That's good. All right. So that and y'all touched on this, too, in the first episode about how we didn't get enough time kind of exploring the world of Wakanda. And so if, if you paid attention, it was the it was the river tribe, the mining tribe, the merchant tribe, the border tribe and then the mountain tribe. Uh, and so and then not and then I guess I was kind of thinking, I wonder if the idea is that uh, T'Challa his family is kind of like the the ruling class tribe or if they they kind of are in in their own class from that standpoint all right so one of the things i thought was fascinating too and i didn't catch this the first time but i caught it the second time the border tribe in particular did you notice that a lot of their weapons were shield based yes. right like yes. they were creating that border yes and then on top of that the the rhino playing into kind of the the symbol symbolic nature of their tribe while the literal battle of the sexes is going down Whereas the rhino has always been kind of portrayed as kind of this this symbolic male uh, uh, figure in a lot of art, and so to actually have that like that rhino storming towards yeah yeah, yeah like like she just stops and it just stands there and gives her a little kiss yeah it was it was very powerful I think I think the thing I actually liked about the movie was that we needed to see a little bit more but I think that gives so much room for exploration and you know. I want TV shows, um, <laughs> Netflix I want, series. I want a Shuri spinoff. Um, you know, she's gonna be she's gonna be Iron Man. I, I promise you. Yeah, they're I mean, setting her up, man. All right, all right, so in the comics, Shuri actually becomes the Black Panther. Yes, she does. Uh, See, I wasn't gonna get that away because you know Killmonger becomes a Black Panther too. But, so, I wasn't well, so get okay, that away. and actually, doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So Killmonger dies like a few times. He gets revived by the heart shape. I, I don't you think know. he's getting revived unless unless like Thanos comes back and resurrects everybody. But see who's the villain. Right. But see who would be the villain. Well, look, we'll we'll get deep into nerd stuff if but y'all see, want who to. Would, who would be the villain then? The, I, I, okay, so pay attention. What did they call Bucky at the end? They called him the White Wolf. The White Wolf. Now his his story in the comic book, the White Wolf is a leader of of Wakanda's war dogs. 
So the white wolf is actually, it's a different origin. So I believe he's adopted into, adopted by T'Chaka. I believe his name is Hunter or something. He's, ad, he's adopted by T'Chaka and is, and is basically accepted as one of the people in Wakanda as their own. Um, and he leads all their war dogs. And I think it would be fascinating if Bucky, because he's basically in exile in the rest of the world, now becomes kind of uh, an agent for Wakanda, an agent for their missions project, an agent for, you know, their borders, running their spies and everything like that. I think that would be very fascinating. All right, let me flip that on you, though. So this is the way that I saw the ending. Okay. And I, I hear what you're saying about Shuri, you know, in the comics, she was the Black Panther and everything else. But there was a scene where they actually had the herb and they didn't offer it to her. And I feel like if, if she was going to be it, that would have been her next time baby moment. You know, like if, if the herb was going to be offered to her, that didn't happen. Now, what she does have is all this technology. She's Tony Stark times a million. What if at the very tail end, spoilers, at the end of everything, when it's just the two of them, what if we're seeing the future, the next phase is Captain America and the next phase is Iron Man? Yeah, that's what and I those believe. are the two that's, leaders absolutely. of things. So I believe that the center of the MCU now is Wakanda. There's no other there's no other place that it could be. I don't know, man. Thanos where, where else, is coming. Where's it gonna be? Where's gonna be? Okay, so this is but look, so they set up the the outreach in California for Avengers West, right? Sorry, sorry guys. <laughs> You're, you're getting our yeah, group chat is, now. Uh, all right, all right. Vincent in yeah, we should probably there, we should so, probably yeah, right, that. Final, uh, final yeah. thoughts though from anybody yeah, in the no, audience. Thoughts, let's let's uh, let's get away from the nerds. Hey, um, one of the big things I caught picking back on, like what everybody else said, is the represent representation of women. Like from the beginning scene, I realized everybody's entourage is filled with women, and everybody's completely okay with it. From the beginning, when he goes to get um, uh, Angela. Um, from like the scene and she's like well you're messing up my mission man and she's doing her part and at the same time everybody that's helping him is a girl is, is they're women and then when he comes back home i start to realize like wow are, are, are all the soldiers women because there's just women everywhere and it's like only a couple of men and i think throughout the story arc from the beginning to the end you see that the women keep to their principles um, and then most of the people that switch perspectives are actually the men. Um, and it's, and it's the women. And I think, I think, I think that's very representative of just the way I guess that story went. It's that the women, they, it's, women are mostly portrayed to think more of the family. Therefore, the women in the story did exactly that. Irregardless of what was happening, they stuck to their principle. So I felt like that was also very important. Um, so I want to pinpoint the respect aspect of it like the whole entire movie and how everybody shows respect for one another so I think when everybody like kept asking was like Killmonger like right like was he right or was he wrong I think one thing that he lacked was respect and you could tell that I think that was basically his downfall in how he went about everything because even from like you know how they say you are your father's child or you know you are your mom's child and you could tell that when he sat there and when his father for example pulled the gun on um Zuri when the fa- when his father pulled the gun on Zuri it was like you you lost your way cuz if you were back home you would never do such a thing like it's a respect respect aspect you come and you show the council, you know, this is why you do it. You, or at least try and prove your reasoning to why you want to do something, why you want to make a change. 
And then you can see how when Killmonger kind of came about it the same way, he was like, oh, well, I have this. I can do this. I can do that. And it was like, well, can you really, without the help of everybody else, like show show some type of respect and maybe we'll reciprocate that. <laughs> I just wanted to um, touch back on um, what Viv was talking about, about representation. Because um, I feel as if... Um, as women, like we are portrayed, especially as Black women, we are pro- portrayed as um, not smart, or we're only good for one thing, or you know what I mean. Like there's always that stereotype. So I felt like it was really inspiring to have um, the sister be a genius and for her to be Black, and everybody was okay with it. Like in the Black community, we have this issue with like if you're smart or if you're talented in science and math, then you're kind of like shunned away. Like that's something that. Um, isn't applicable to them. Like we're only responsible for one type of thing. Like we're good with English and we're good with um, one type of um, academic achievement, but we're not scholars in other places. So I I appreciate that they put um, a younger black girl as um, someone that is able to reach those heights and able to be in charge of everyone. And everyone's okay with it. I love that everyone um, didn't shun her away like in the rest of the world because now we have little girls and little boys seeing that. And now it's normal to see that now. It's now it's incredible to know now that um, everyone can be okay with that and have that representation out there. Um, I wanted to say that that, that uh, tweet about Booker T. Washington and Du Bois, um, I, I don't like that at all. The, you know, du, du Bois and Washington had different views, obviously, but, you know, Du Bois, for example, wanted to build up black females and black community, how they viewed themselves with the Paris Exposition, you know, to get them to not think of themselves as, as farm animals and slaves, whereas Killmonger doesn't seem to have any desire to build up Wakanda. He wants to pull from Wakanda for, you know, other motives. Um, so that, that was one thought I, I had to get out. The other thought is, um, historically, in America, we see with uh, like Garvey, with Cromwell, Fanny Coppin, we see Amer- African Americans reaching out to Africa. Um, in the movie, I'm curious for you all's perspective, what do you think about um, the portrayal of African Americans as concerning? Jamar, uh, uh, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Continue on that. I I feel like I understand that viewpoint, that kind of transition, I guess, from, like, the motherland to where you are. Because I'm Hispanic, and this is my first generation, and I see it immediately. It's, like, my motherland and then where I'm from, like, my culture and that kind of things, and they blend. So I'm in the weird transition where I, I personally, when I'm like, oh, are you first gen or are you immigrant or are you second gen? And through the generations, you can see the extreme difference. So the transition from, I guess, African Americans when they're in L.A., so I guess back to the motherland, like it really resonated with me just because I understand that difference. When he goes back to the motherland, he's like, wow, you guys have all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, when I go back home, I'm like, this is really weird. All like their, their cultures are a little bit different, but because I have a blend of it, I guess I can put my foot on both lines. So I, I think that's something really important. And I saw the switch, like he comes in, one of the biggest things I see when he comes into the throne room and he's wearing the robe. 
and we're like, okay, he's at home now. He comes in with, he comes in with the robe. We're like, of course, Killmonger. I, we see you. Um, so I think that was something of like, I feel like that's probably like a big overlooked part that they're two different personalities with the same roots. And I think that's really important part of this. So, okay. So the, uh, one thing that I wanted to say was just, um, in regards to women in, um, Wakanda, you guys can do yourself a huge favor by the six part, um, comic world of Wakanda. If you really want to see what the women were about and how thoroughly involved they are in everything. The women are, the only critique I would have with what you said was entourage. They are not an entourage. They are, no, it's okay. I mean, I'm not, I'm not offended by it. It's just, um, they are the backbone of the world. So. Yeah. Come on. Come on. Anybody else? One more? One more? Anybody else who hasn't spoken? Okay, yeah. We'll, we'll kick it to Noel. I just wanted to, and I and I I'm sure this is implied in all of y'all talking about the how how amazing the women in the movie are, but but um, just this topic we had the conversation this week in Bible study. It's it's not insignificant that it is black women that are the powerful backbone of the society because they're the powerful backbone of our society that we don't value, right? But who do the black women speak for and fight for? Every single marginalized group in our society. And we, you know, y'all hold us on your backs. And we are not recognizing of that and we're not appreciative of that. But that's, I mean, I think that's, that's an inheritance that is not fictional. And in this movie, literally repairing the backbone. It was. <laughs> Oh. I was going to bark when you grabbed the mic, but I just decided I was not going to bark anymore. Man, guys, thank you. This has been phenomenal. This has been amazing. Uh, we've learned a lot. It has really embodied what we wanted the Black Panther experience to be, to get a whole bunch of phenomenal people together and who think deeply about it and who can really pinpoint the layers and pinpoint just everything that the movie is saying. And so we thank you guys for coming out. Jamar, any, any last thoughts? For Again, just echoing the thanks. Y'all have pushed this conversation and expanded it in so many ways that Tyler and I just never would have gotten to. And so we are so glad that this was our first Pass the Mic live event. Uh, Tyler, I think we should probably just go see Black Panther in every city we go to and just, just have a, have no, a no, year-long no, tour. No, it's a Pensacola thing. It's a Pensacola <laughs> thing. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Well, we appreciate you. And yeah, thank you guys for joining us. Um, if you have not subscribed to Pass the Mic, you can check us out, com. Many thanks to Bo York and Pottery Studios for doing all the, the tech for us. Um, and then also go to thewitnessbcc.com. Pass the Mic is on iTunes and SoundCloud. So if you just want to do that, you can do that. Tell but if your you wanna, friends about Yeah, us. tell your friends, share, you know, take pictures, all that. We're going to get one final picture up here as well. Um, thank you guys for coming out and staying with us. So give yourselves a hand. Woo!
This episode was brought to you in part by United We Pray. United We Pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife, especially between Christians. Come join us in praying for the unity of God's people.